Let me encourage you, if you have a Bible or have a, a way of accessing the, the scripture this morning, to open to Colossians 1. We'll be back in Colossians again today, starting in verse 15. We're going to continue to be thinking about identity, what it is that defines who we are. Speaking of identity, one thing you may or may not know about your pastor is that I am an Apple guy. Despite being raised in a PC household, despite being, you know, sort of brought up and cultivated on, on um, PC devices, Windows computers, about six or seven years ago, I made the leap to Apple products. And I know in a place like this with lots of IBMers and former IBMers and software and hardware developers, that might make me the odd, odd man out. But I, I know one of the things that maybe especially if you are the person, kind of person who can write code and, and, and build hardware and software, one of the things that makes the world of PCs so appealing is it's, it's kind of a free market, right? You can build anything, you can write anything, anyone and everyone can develop and create new things, new products, which makes for this world of endless possibilities, right? Of course, one of the great challenges of, of open source software or PC software is it also makes it incredibly difficult to get all these parts and pieces to work together seamlessly for that whole process to be a smooth one. And so what, what finally convinced me to give Apple a try several years ago, I was working in a, a church where several of the people on staff had Apple products, and I noticed how integrated they were as, as a kind of tech ecosystem. Right? Apple made their own tablets, they made their phones, they made their laptops and computers. And that's because Apple sort of aimed from the very beginning as a company to be involved in every detail of the, the development and design process. Right? They wanted to create the hardware. They wanted to create the software that ran on the hardware. Eventually, they even built their own retail outlets to sell you that hardware and software. They want to service your devices when they break down. They want you to trade in your old devices back to them when it comes time for an upgrade. And of course, in Apple's mind, that's a great way to make a ton of money. Right there, uh, I think the past year was again, they were, they were one of the most profitable companies on the New York Stock Exchange. But it's also created a, a loop in, in that ecosystem, a kind of life cycle, right, that, that runs from the beginning of your tech experience to the very end. And I think what part, a part of what Apple users are, are paying for, what you pay that extra money for, for those products, is the assurance that that whole world, that whole ecosystem, that whole experience will make sense, will be seamless, will, will hold together, so to speak. Now all of that said, I don't really care what tech ecosystem you want to swim in, right? It's, they, they both have advantages and drawbacks. But I wonder if there's something of an analogy in, in that about the way we do our thinking on identity. 
And there's, there's one way of thinking that's, I would say, the, the prevailing, the, the dominant view of identity in our world today. And it's this, this open source, this free market, this many developers concept, right? That we have all these different multiple sort of inputs along the way into, into who we are and what we become. And the allure of that way of thinking about identity is is it, it presents endless possibilities to us. Right, we, can, we can become or create all these different ways of, of saying, this is who I am. But it also presents an incredible challenge because we have all these different sources and ideas and voices of input. We have to figure out how to get those things to communicate, to integrate, to play nicely together. Right? Whether they're internally trying to put ourselves together or whether that's our experience in community with other people. Does all of that thinking, do all of those voices, do all of those inputs hold together? This morning, I want us to look at a handful of verses in Paul's letter to the Colossians. And these are just a few pages before the passage Mike preached on last week. But I think this, this passage in Colossians 1 invites us, it, it proclaims to us a different way to think about identity, a different way to think about our world and our being in it. And Paul will say that we inhabit a world that is from the beginning to its very end, to its telos, to its purpose. It is the work of a single designer, a single person, a single being. Paul says that in Christ, we have been created. In Christ, all of creation is also being held together. And in Christ, we are being reconciled, we're being rescued, we're being restored in relationship and made new, being brought back to God the Father. So I want to read Colossians 1, 15 through 20, one more time. Before we do that, I want to pray for us that we might receive this input, receive the work of God's word upon us. Lord Jesus, we want to confess, we want to, to live under the reality that you have made us, that you know us, that you've shaped us, and you have great purpose for us, individually and together as one people. But we also want to confess that we desperately need your help to understand what that identity is how it is that we bring our lives and our thinking and our acting into conformity with who you are, especially as it's revealed here. And so I pray, Lord, as I preach, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts, may the responses, may the choices, may the actions that flow forth from those meditations also be pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Colossians 1, 15 through 20. 
This is uh, likely a, a hymn or a poem that existed in the ancient church that Paul has either sort of drawn in and, and maybe um, slightly re-edited or, or maybe taken wholesale and brought into his letter to the Colossians. But, but the, it's, it's carefully crafted and it's an exalted statement about who Jesus the Son is. Verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is an exalted statement about the identity of Jesus Christ. And look how many times in this passage the word all appears. The language of of exaltation and glorification comes through. We are given this incredible picture of who Jesus is and what it means for us to be in him. So very briefly this morning, I want to take these six verses and, and pull them into three parts, three statements I think they communicate about who we are in Christ. And the first comes through in verses 15 and 16 which tells us that in Christ we are created. These first few verses have the the Genesis 1 and 2 accounts written all over them. They are the language of creation. They echo the way God creates in Genesis 1 and 2. The the language of, of God's image becoming visible and material and made known. And what Paul wants to tell us, what what Paul wants his Colossians audience to understand is that at the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ was there. Jesus, the Son, was there. And it was through him, the firstborn over all creation, that all things came into being. The fancy Greek word for firstborn is prototokos. And a prototokos is actually a word that shows up a lot in the Old Testament. And it it refers to the first child born into a family. And of course, there was great honor, there was great responsibility, there was great privilege assigned to that firstborn child. Sometimes the scriptures speak of Israel being the firstborn child, the firstborn son of God. 
But here, when it, when it comes to the beginning of all things, when it comes to the creation of God's world, the scriptures want us to know that Jesus enjoys this distinction. He is at the beginning. He is first. He is preeminent. He is the first among God's children. But usually where there is a firstborn, we can also anticipate there are more children to follow. And that's where we come into this text. It says, through Christ, the firstborn, through Christ, who was the visible image of the invisible God, through him we have been created. He is the firstborn in our family. He is also our creator. And I think it should be a great relief for us to discover where it is we fall in the birth order, so to speak. How many of you are firstborn children? I'm, I'm the baby of, of two. I'm the, the youngest of two children. But I know from observation and from talking to lots of firstborns that being the firstborn isn't particularly easy, right? Firstborns are pioneers in their family. Firstborns have to, to break things in and, and make a way for the children, the, the brothers and sisters that come later. But because Jesus is the firstborn of creation, what we learn from that is that we don't have to, to pioneer, we don't have to, to forge the path of what it means to be human, what it means to bear the image of God. Jesus has done that for us. He is the firstborn at the beginning. And as it says in Romans 8, we've been made to follow after him, to live into his image, or to be conformed to that image that he bears as the firstborn. So that, Romans 8 says, we might, uh, he might enjoy the, the place of being the firstborn among many brothers and sisters that come after him. So Jesus is the firstborn. He is the author of creation. And in verse 16, we're told that that means Jesus is also our source. It says, in him and through him, all things are created. Right? This is exactly the same, nearly the same language as John 1. There's, there's nothing that exists that did not come into being through him. And because that idea is so basic, because it's so primary, it risks sounding to us like a, like a platitude, like something we can kind of just move on from. But the idea that in Jesus we are created, in Jesus we, we find our source, we cannot underestimate how important this is, especially when it comes to identity. Because for us to know who we are, we need to be able to answer the question, where have we come from? Where have we come from? Right? There are innumerable answers to that question in our world today. But the scriptures supply only one. The scriptures proclaim that we owe our existence to the person of Jesus. That we have come from him. That we have sprung forth from who he is. In Christ, all things have been created. In him and through him. 
our very being in this world. And the world itself, its existence is attributable to a personal, to a creative, to a, a loving act of creation. You exist because Jesus desired to create you. Right? That is where you have come from. And so if Jesus is the firstborn, if Jesus is the source, then at the end of verse 16, we're also told that he must also be our purpose, our telos. Not only were we created through him, we have been created for him. Jesus is what we're made for. Many of you will know the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and it starts with the statement, right? That the chief end of our existence is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. There's, there's so much delight, there's so much beauty, there's so much healing that comes when our souls lay hold of the truth of that reality. We have been made for Christ. We have been made in him, we've been made through him, we've been made for him. In Christ we have been created. So that means outside of Christ, there is nothing. But that's not where the hymn here stops, right? Paul wants to go on to say that Christ is more than just the source from which we have come. He's more than just our creator. He is the Lord of all things, and he continues to encompass. He continues to sustain the reality that we experience at the present moment, too. And so in verse 17 we discover that in Christ we are held together. It says, He is before all things. Jesus the Son is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That is an incredible promise. Some of you may have, have read uh, a great novel of the 20th century, it's written in the 1950s by Chinua Achebe, and it's entitled, Things Fall Apart. Achebe is, is, I believe, from Nigeria, and the novel is set in a small Nigerian village at the turn of the 19th to the 20th century. And it, it describes how that village comes apart, how things fall apart in, in their village, in their families, in their civilization, as forces like colonization and modernization and, and misguided cultural and religious voices come in and, and pull them apart. And in many ways, that story is, is like a microcosm of what has happened in our world, the, the fractures that have come to sort of pull us into all these different directions. Until we inhabit a culture, a reality, a a global system in which it, it truly seems that things do indeed fall apart. Maybe there are places in your life that are coming apart, feel like they're falling apart. Maybe that's been particularly true in this past year as we've, we've been apart, we've been separate from one another. I've heard stories from many of you and, and experience some of these same things of, of family relationships being strained, family relationships coming apart. 
Maybe you've experienced friendships coming apart. People you once counted yourself very close to, and and now you, you struggle to enjoy that same sense of closeness. Maybe for some of you, even your connection to this body, to this church, or to your faith feels like it's it's strained or come apart in the past year. A few weeks back, there was an article in Christianity Today. It was written by their editor, Timothy Dalrymple, and it was entitled, The Splintering of the Evangelical Soul. And their editor describes in, in that article, I posted it to our Facebook page if you want to read it in its entirety. But he describes how the church has been faced with this this challenge to to confront the the polarizing politics of the past year, the racial tensions in our country, the global pandemic that that confronted us. And it it says, he says, that it, it, it pulls us apart. He says, the evangelical movement today is dividing into separate communities. That though they still hold some moral or theological commitments in common, they differ dramatically on their sources of information and their broader view of the world. And the effect, he says, is that they can now only discuss a narrow range of topics if they do not want to fall into painful and exasperated disagreement. I wonder if you have experienced some of that in conversations you've had, in exchanges you've witnessed, in, in the things that you personally are feeling. And so on the one hand, there's a a great encouragement to me that we are coming back together as a body, physically being rejoined in the same place. But as we do that, we also come with, with these things that may have come apart in our lives this past year. We have to know what to do with them. We have to answer the question, what is it that holds us together? And I think... Our temptation is to believe we have that responsibility. We have to hold ourselves together. We have to hold our families together. We have to hold our relationships together. When things come apart, we've got to figure out how to pull it all back into one place. I've spent most of my life trying to do that. Trying to hold people, hold communities together. I grew up in a a family system where I very much took it upon myself to be the peacemaker. And when there was conflict, to to keep everybody back in one place. But I can say from personal experience that trying to hold the disparate parts of our lives and our world and our identities together is exhausting. And quite simply, I cannot do that work. That is a painful, that is a a difficult confession for someone like a pastor to make. But I would say the same thing to you. You cannot hold things together. You cannot hold your life together. You cannot hold your family together. You cannot hold this church together. Neither can the world hold itself together. Chenoa Achebe is right. Things fall apart. It's part of our broken humanity. Save one. Save one person. 
save one power, save one source. That is the reconciling, the redeeming center of the universe. In verse 17, the scriptures tell us that God the Father has had mercy on us. And he has appointed Christ the Son to do what we cannot. It says, in Jesus, all things are held together. In Jesus, every power, whether they're, they're a pure or a perverse power, every person, whether they are a broken person or whether they are a redeemed person, every painful part of creation, Christ is at work in. He is working to rescue and hold together and enter into their reality because we cannot do that work. At the center of our Christian identity is this confession, that only Jesus Christ holds us together. So let me offer you the opportunity this morning. If there are things you've been trying, you've been exhausted in trying to hold together, what would it look like for you to ask Jesus to hold those things instead? What would it look like to ask Jesus to be in those things with you? What would it look like to confess our falling apartness to him? And I want to invite you to do that this morning as we come to one particular place together. As we come to the table of our Lord Jesus. Because my understanding that this table is designed to hold this body together. The table of Jesus Christ is meant to gather all of God's children in one place. And God has appointed the firstborn over all creation to sit at the head of this table and to offer his body and his blood to us so that we might be reconciled as a people. And so as we approach the table of Jesus this morning, I want to read to us these last three verses from this passage. The last affirmation this hymn in Colossians makes that in Christ we are reconciled. We are created, we are held together, and we are reconciled. Verse 18. Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn, not just at creation, he is the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus Christ has created us Jesus Christ holds us together as a body. Jesus Christ reconciles us through his blood shed on the cross. If you desire to be held together, to be restored, to be healed and made whole, then I'd invite you to receive 
his gifts for us from his table. This is the body of Jesus Christ, broken and his blood shed for us. Lord Jesus, you've invited us to take your body into ours so that we might now belong to you. We might increasingly come to know the reality described in Colossians 1. That we were made for you. That we were created in you. And though our lives have fallen apart, you are reconciling us back to the Father. Lord, we lift to you our broken bodies in this church family. Lord, where we are in need of healing this morning, we pray for the work of your Spirit. Lord, we pray where there is cancer that you would bring remission and life and healing. We pray that where there is exhaustion, you would bring rest. We pray that where there is loneliness or anxiety or depression, you would bring the light of your life. Lord, we pray for our unity in witness and mission as a church. Pray you would lead us forward together as one people, proclaiming one name. And Lord, we present our nation, the people to which we belong. We pray that you would have your mercy upon us. Pray that your justice would flow. Pray that your gospel would be proclaimed. Lord, would you rebuild your people today? It's in you we place all our hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.